Welcome to the Talking with Tata podcast. I'm your host, Andy Schneider. Each week, we invite different specialists to give advice and information about raising children in today's environment. I'm very excited for you all to listen to today's podcast, which introduces Dr. Yoder, who is a fertility specialist and OBGYN. She specifically works with Spring Fertility, which is a fertility clinic and practice that helps you achieve your goals, whether that's egg freezing, family planning, and more. People with ovaries who are under 35, the traditional textbook answer is, if you've been trying for 12 months or longer and have not achieved a pregnancy, then it's time to get a further workup. For people who are 35 or older, that shortens a little bit to about six months period of time. One thing that you're going to really learn is about what secondary infertility is. And secondary infertility, it's not the first child, it's the second, the third, the fourth, and it's usually fertility issues that occur after having a successful pregnancy and labor. A lot of patients and just a lot of people right now are going through this. Dr. Yoder had mentioned that this could be because people are starting families later in life, or you're possibly having a second or third child later in life. I asked her about misleading information that you'll see on social media, why infertility and secondary infertility is so common right now, and just how underlying health conditions can impact fertility in general. We discuss lifestyle changes, diet, removing toxins, as well as any supplementary treatments that can support fertility like acupuncture or massage therapy. Tata's tip of the week is really being interested in skills that children will learn before words, before speaking. So there's a lot of different things that will happen prior to your child saying their first word. For example, gross motor skills, meaning a child rolling over or maybe turning their head. That happens long before the child says their first words. As well as fine motor skills, grasping for something, moving their fingers, their hands, even trying to pull or push something. Another one is language skills. We really have to listen for babbling and cooing. For some children, that can happen around six months. And for some, they don't really start babbling or cooing until later on, 10 months, 12 months even. And the final one is really cognitive skills. And cognitive skills at that age could be recognizing faces, recognizing objects. These are all skills that you really want to look out for prior to speaking. So give us a listen, and I'm very excited to hear your thoughts. I am very excited to have on Dr. Yoder, who is a fertility specialist and OBGYN and also works at Spring Fertility. Spring Fertility offers the most patient-centric, individualized, flexible, and compassionate care without losing sight of what really matters, which is just helping you achieve your goals, whatever they are. Welcome to the podcast today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course. So why don't we start off with just what is Spring Fertility? Sure. So Spring Fertility is a fertility clinic that does the full gamut of fertility services uh, that may be the things that people traditionally think of. Like for those who are actively trying to conceive, we do fertility workup and then inseminations and IVF, or for maybe people who are not starting their journey and maybe interested in fertility preservation. We also do things like egg freezing, embryo freezing. We help people from all walks of life. So that could be couples who are trying, that could be people who are single, that could be LGBTQ, trans. As you said, we try to keep things very patient-centered and really try to keep the individual in mind and keep the the person at the core of, of whatever is going on. 
Right. Okay. And then where do you guys have offices? Because I know a lot of friends who see you guys in New York, but you, I think you have other locations yeah. as well, correct? Yes. Yeah, so, so Spring Fertility started in the Bay Area. So there are several offices in California where it originated. And then we are the first office on the East Coast in New York, wow. right by Bryant Park. Yep. Um, so question for you, you guys see obviously beginning to end of someone, like you said, who is single or maybe a couple who is looking to have a baby. When do you really recommend seeing a fertility specialist? So, you know, let's say someone is trying to get pregnant. At what point in their journey do you recommend seeing someone? So that answer depends a little bit on the age. Mm -hmm. So for people with ovaries who are under 35, the traditional textbook answer is if you've been trying for 12 months or longer and have not achieved a pregnancy, then it's time to get a further workup. For people who are 35 or older, that shortens a little bit to about six months period of time. But the real answer is that there's really not a wrong time to go in and see a fertility specialist if you suspect that there may be an underlying issue. So mm -hmm. some people know that they have some medical condition that may predispose them to infertility. And if that's the case, that could be like a diagnosis of PCOS, endometriosis, maybe an anatomical issue they're aware of. If you know you have something, it's not wrong to be seeking care sooner. Right. And that includes even going before you want to have kids. So absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So sometimes we do preconception um, workups. So some people may know that they've had something in their history. And if you know that you're going to have difficulty conceiving and may not go the traditional route to achieve a baby, it's much easier if you seek evaluation sooner, right. sooner, the better, I would always say. And, you know, sometimes there's no point in wasting, wasting time and months yeah. if you know you're ultimately going to end up needing something like inseminations or IVF ultimately. Absolutely. So I do want to ask you, and this might be a very broad, but difficult question to answer. So you can be honest mm -hmm. with me. And yeah. I do want to really focus a lot of this podcast on secondary infertility, but I'm just so surrounded by moms and just parents in general, and a lot of people who are struggling with fertility, specifically secondary infertility. If you had to give us an answer, what is causing all these fertility issues? You know, some people say it's birth control, our environment, toxins. You know, do you have, you know, I guess your own opinion on just what is going on with our generation right now? Truth is we don't really know all the answers, but right. things that are certainly playing into it are that in this day and age, people are definitely starting their families later and having babies later in life. So that number one automatically predisposes, you know, anyone trying to conceive to yeah. secondary infertility. So maybe that first baby came easily, but the second one, you're a lot older and maybe accumulated more health problems by the time you're trying for that second baby. So that number one is just off the bat, something I can point to. Mm -hmm. We are having babies later in life and babies are happening at later ages than they ever were before. But at the same time, you know, that doesn't explain everything that we see. So I think there is an increase beyond what we see age related. Mm -hmm in infertility rates that, you know, we don't exactly know what's happening, but it's certainly, in my opinion, there is some role for all of the toxins and all the environmental exposures that we have mm -hmm. in this day and age that just didn't exist before. So, you know, there are chemicals now that, you know, our chemical load, I would say exposure is definitely higher than, you know, 20, 30 years ago when our parents were having children. So while we can't, delineate all of the effects of each of those components. 
I think there's a lot of things that are playing into it, but certainly there is a concern that more and more people are facing infertility, primary or secondary infertility. Right. So what exactly is secondary infertility? Sure. So secondary infertility, we basically define that as the inability to conceive or carry a pregnancy to term after you have already previously given birth. So these are people who have one baby at home. They say, great, you know, we're ready to expand our family again. And then they try for the second baby. Mm -hmm. And that's when they start having difficulty. So those are the people that are experiencing what we call secondary infertility. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing that so much. I mean, look, I am turning 32. I'm in this world of just everyone around me having babies. Mm -hmm. But you kind of hear a lot of these stories where, oh, it happened so fast the first time. I'm going to try this week and we're going to get pregnant again. And then people... And, you know, a lot of people are telling my friends, well, you know, it's not always that easy, but then Mm -hmm. there's maybe something more going on. Yeah. And it can be really, really emotionally challenging too, if you conceived easily the first time, because Mm -hmm. in your head, you're like, great, we'll do what we did last time. We'll go ahead and start trying. A few months will go by. We'll be pregnant. No big deal. It's something that you're not really mentally preparing for. You know, nobody goes into trying to conceive unless they know they have some sort of diagnosis, but nobody goes into it thinking it's going to be hard. Right. So when you get that surprise that it's not happening, that can be really jarring and really, you know, really upsetting. And it's sort of like, what's wrong? You know, like what's happening? What's going wrong? Like work before. So it really starts to raise a lot of alarm bells for people. It can be very disconcerting. Absolutely. So are there any signs that someone might be struggling with secondary infertility that we should all look out for? So I say the you know the biggest signs are if no matter what your age is if you've been trying for six months after that first baby and you're not having any positive pregnancy tests that certainly is a little bit of a, a tee off like maybe something's going on mm-hmm. but other signs that we always tell people to look out for are any major health changes or changes in the menstrual pattern now whether that be the duration the timing of it, the severity of maybe symptoms that you have around it, if your periods all of a sudden start to seem different than they were before, or during that time when you were having that first baby or trying to conceive that first baby, subtle signs that maybe something about your reproductive health has changed. Mm-hmm. And maybe times sort of, you know, start maybe, you know, going to do that workup sooner rather than later, but definitely looking out for any health changes, weight changes, menstrual changes. Those are all things that are good to be aware of as you go to try for that second baby, second or third baby, whatever, you know, whichever number baby that might be. Absolutely. One thing that just kind of comes to mind, you know, is it the first pregnancy or labor that's causing this? Are there any really common causes Mm -hmm. of secondary infertility? Sure. So there's a lot of causes of secondary infertility. Anything that can cause primary infertility definitely can cause secondary infertility. But you did sort of allude to something right there that is is unique to secondary infertilities. It can be something as a result of the first pregnancy or delivery. So sometimes, you know, during a delivery, if there were complications, maybe excessive bleeding, maybe there was retained placenta, mm-hmm. um, you can have some uterine issues that happen that you might not be aware of right away. But it could be that your uterus has scar tissue now, or it could be You know, that there was something about if you had a C-section, you know, something about the incision also can be problematic for future pregnancies. Or, you know, if you have an abdominal surgery or something, you know, of that nature, you can have changes in your fallopian tubes. Maybe some scarring has happened there. So certainly there are some things that can be structural. Mm -hmm. 
after having a first baby that you may not be aware of until you do a workup. Right. So obviously I know a lot of females are at risk of the secondary infertility. What about men? Is there anything that really happened? You know, who was at risk really just for the secondary infertility? I have a lot of friends, again, you know, the male could be having some struggle. So is that something that you see as well? Absolutely. So the unique thing, that one of the main differences between men and women's reproductive system is that people with ovaries are born with all the eggs you're ever going to have. And that number of eggs just decreases over time, but you retain the same one. Oh, wow. People with testes or, you know, uh, the male counterpart, they are regenerating. Their testicles have sperm or have um, stem cells in them. So they are regenerating a fresh batch of sperm every three months. Wow. So any major changes to their health certainly can have a big impact on the semen analysis in that time period. So two, three years ago, everything might have been fine. Might have had beautiful, healthy sperm, no issues, conceiving. But then maybe they, you know, have big changes to their health, to their hormone profile, and all of a sudden their sperm counts are lower. Hmm. So men certainly are not immune to secondary infertility. And that is definitely there, you know, don't get to be left out of the workup when things are not going right the second time around. It certainly can be something on the male component that has changed dramatically. Wow. So I didn't realize any of this, you know, I, and I think this is probably the first time I'm saying this on the podcast, but I froze my eggs when I was 29 turning 30. Mm -hmm. And I was not aware until the second that I was born with the most amount of eggs I'm going to have. And then, yeah. Wow. Okay. So is there, yeah. So yeah, no, I just, I'm curious, you know, I don't think enough people really are, I mean, maybe not told to freeze their eggs, but age really, I mean, it does matter, you know, trying to protect yourself as much as possible. Because we don't get new eggs, that's why it matters so much and why it's great to at least know about egg freezing or consider um, egg freezing for people who might not be imminently trying to have babies because the eggs that are in your body are however old you are. And they've been exposed to all of the things that you've been exposed to, all of the toxins in the environment. That egg has been accumulating all of those you know, little insults over time. And so your eggs really aren't regenerated the same way that sperm to sperm are. So that's one of the primary reasons why we do see decrease in egg quality as we age. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I never looked back. I'm trying to convince everyone I know who's maybe not exactly ready to have a family, but you know, it makes me feel confident in my decision because I can try naturally the first time. And then maybe the second, third, I mean, however many kids I want to have, I can use those eggs. Absolutely. And I always tell people that a lot of times frozen eggs become second babies. So people who are having issues with secondary infertility, um, that's oftentimes where frozen eggs come into play because first baby, maybe you conceive naturally, you know, you froze your eggs, 29, 30, Maybe you meet someone, try, get pregnant, everything seems great. Yeah. And then you go for the second baby, maybe in your later 30s. Yeah. And then it's not so easy to conceive. And so a lot of times, you know, we refer to them as sort of like family completing eggs. I think that's a great, I love that term. I'm going to write that down. I think, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of stigma. I think people assume you have to be single and, you know, you're single and you're maybe not ready to have your baby or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, you, you don't know when you're going to meet someone. And that really isn't the case. Again, I'm very confident in what I, what I did, but I'm also Mm -hmm. even more confident now because yeah, I don't know when my second or third child's going to come. Right. Exactly. And 
you never know what life's going to hold. So even if you have first baby, maybe there are major changes in your health. Right. Maybe there are changes in you know your life status, where you live. And sometimes with all good intentions, you know, you you have like, this is when I'm going to have my children. And it usually never happens that way. Yeah. So it's always great to have some sort of backup plan if secondary infertility happens to be yep. you know, in the down the road for you. No one ever anticipates that. Absolutely. I completely agree. You know, I have listened to a lot of misleading information out there. I think Instagram mm -hmm. and social media in general can be really good, but it can also be really bad just because you are given yeah. information, maybe yeah. not from someone who's an OBGYN or a fertility specialist. So do you believe that misleading information is really impacting infertility? The short answer is yes. There is, as you said, there's tons of information out there on the internet and some of it is good and some of it is bad. Yeah. Some of it is applicable to everybody and some of it is not. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times what we see, you know, are people who maybe come in and they say, well, I heard this on the internet or somebody did, you know, had this scenario. And for that person, that might be true. And for mm -hmm. that person, that advice might apply, but everybody's reproductive physiology is unique and different. And your scenario is different. And it's really hard to put big generalized statements out there on the internet. And it's really easy you know, for somebody to go out there and promote something yeah. without it being personalized. So that's, you know, another reason why here at Spring, we really like to get personalized care for everybody because everybody's different. Right. Not everything out there applies to every person. Right. Absolutely. So you really start with the patient, you do a full workup and then based on their labs and all of their results, that's when you would just kind of move on to the next stage. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And it also depends on their overall family planning goals. Yeah. So everybody's you know, goals are different too. Some people are aiming for one child. Some people are aiming for five. So, you know, how you, how you address, you know, each individual person is not only their reproductive health, but their sort of what they hope to get out of this. So yeah, there's a, a lot that goes into it. Absolutely. And look, it's the same thing with my field of speech therapy. Every child is different. I would love to say that, you know, yes. speech therapy is the same for yes. every kid or every adult, but it's not. So I understand that right. and I appreciate that. Earlier, you had mentioned that there's a lot of health conditions impacting infertility, fertility in general, but also secondary infertility. So for example, you had said PCOS and endometriosis, you know, how do they impact just fertility in general. Yeah. So things like PCOS or endometriosis just baseline make you more predisposed to infertility. So just to maybe focus on endometriosis, yeah. that is a condition where you have endometrial cells that normally should live inside the uterus that have gone out into the pelvis and implanted somewhere, maybe on your ovaries, your fallopian tubes, just in the pelvis in general, mm -hmm. and exist in a state where they shouldn't shouldn't be present. So yep. people with endometriosis, there's a few different reasons why we, why we believe it's associated with infertility. Some of it can be structural issues. So it can cause scar tissue in the pelvis. They can alter the reproductive anatomy. It can cause the fallopian tubes to close off. So you may have blocked tubes, but then there's also the thought process that it causes a more inflammatory environment that is not normally there. Your eggs aren't meant to be sitting in an inflammatory environment. So it can cause immune changes, hormonal changes. So there may be some, you know, we don't know exactly what is going on with endometriosis from a medical perspective, but the theory is that this inflammatory environment can affect the quality of the eggs or perhaps the ability of an embryo to implant. Hmm. So 
a lot of times people with secondary infertility, if their endometriosis has worsened over time, maybe it was not so bad the first time they were trying to conceive, but maybe the second time their endometriosis is much more severe. It's flared up. There's more, you know, endo lesions in their pelvis. And maybe the second time it is hard. So mm -hmm. that's one, one of those that can be a sort of an evolving picture. The first time might not be so bad. And the second time it might cause true infertility. So do you find that because a lot of people are on birth control from such a young age that it's hiding symptoms that maybe we should be more aware of? Yes. So that's, that's actually a really great question. And I'm really glad you brought that up. We have so many people who come into this office who are, you know, considering freezing eggs or maybe already try to conceive who've been on the birth control pill for a decade, yeah. 15 years, whatever it may be. And birth control in itself, I think is great. I think it serves a you know great purpose. Um, but the one caveat to that is sometimes it's masking things that you don't know until you go off of it. Yeah. Um, so there are people who are, you know, masking maybe irregular periods, maybe no periods, and you don't know right. because you've been on a pill for you know 10 years, maybe five years ago, things really changed. Yeah. And you don't know that until you stop taking that pill. So that is one situation where you just don't know until you until you you know come off that pill to right. see do I get regular periods and what does my ovarian reserve look like? Wow. So yeah, I mean, look, it's honestly pretty scary because I have a lot of friends, myself included, that we've been on birth control for fifteen. I mean, yeah, almost absolutely. you know how twenty years and absolutely until you're ready to start a family, you don't go off of it. Yeah. So you're almost delaying yeah. the whole process. But you know, mm -hmm. to be honest, it's like, well, what do you do? Do you not? Do you go off earlier? It's kind of a, there's no really, I guess, right answer to that. The answer doesn't necessarily have to be go off of the pill because for some people, they really rely on that yeah. for one, birth control. Yeah. They don't want to have a baby right now, or maybe it's regulating some other hormonal imbalances. Mm -hmm. But I think it's worth having a discussion with your regular like OBGYN to say, hey, do you have any concerns about things that this might be masking? Yep. Is my thyroid level okay? Is my ovarian reserve okay? Do you, you know, is there any reason that you would believe that I might be masking something and should we try going off of it for a few months if I've been on it for 10 years? It's worth a discussion at least. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I always advocate for is just having the discussion to at least be thinking of these things in the back of your mind. Uh, just being aware of your health status is honestly the first step. Yeah. So, you know, being aware of like, oh, I might be masking something because so many people come in and they I've never even thought of that concept. And why would you? You know, it's not something we talk about. It's not something you learn about. It's not something that's commonly brought up. But I think it's something that's worthwhile at those annual exams that we're supposed to be having, yeah. uh, you know, to, to have that discussion about fertility. Absolutely. Look, COVID for me was my like refresh. I went off everything. Yeah. I was like, what is my body doing? And it ended up being yeah. great. Everything was regular and on time. And, you know, but that doesn't mean in two years from now or three years from now, it could be the same. So it's, it's right, right. interesting. Right. Yeah. right. And that's a great way to think about it too. Just because things are regular and okay now does not mean that in two years, they yeah. necessarily are the same. So our bodies are evolving, you know, things and, and the status can change. So it's always good to be sort of in tune. Like I was alluding to earlier about, are you noticing that your periods are heavier? Are they shorter? Are they irregular? Any of those types of subtle changes? Yeah at least weren't a discussion of, is this a sign of something that I'm, that's going on that may predispose me to fertility issues in the future. Right. And we had also mentioned just toxins and how 
you know, we have so much more toxins in our environment. Do you suggest anything in the meantime? Maybe someone's not necessarily ready to have a baby today, but you know, whether it's diet, lifestyle changes, removing, you know, household products, are there any recommendations that you have? I always tell people, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to avoid all of the toxins out yeah. there just because it's, it's permeated into our daily lives. But the more that you can be conscious of what is going into your body, I think the better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, looking at fruits and vegetables that are not, you know, are, don't have exposure, using plastics that have less of those toxins in them, just being aware of the choices you're making and doing what you can. You could honestly drive yourself crazy if you try to live a toxin free <laughs> yeah. life. So that's not really realistic. Yeah. And that probably also has its own negative effects, you know, just getting too Obsessing deep into it. Obsessing over it. it. Yeah. Obsessing over it. Yes, exactly. But, you know, watching what you eat, like a well-rounded, you know, diet, mm -hmm. not excessive red meat consumption, um, you know, not excessive alcohol consumption. And the absolute number one thing that any doctor will tell you is no smoking. So, don't smoke. Yep. And that, that includes, just to clarify, that includes cigarette, weed, those uh, jewel pens, yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. um, any form of smoking really has been shown to have negative effects on your reproductive health. And that's the number one thing that we have actually right. very good evidence that smoking cessation improves reproductive outcomes more than any other intervention I can tell you. For, men and, for men and women. For men and women, yes. Right. So, cause it does take two to tango. I think people forget it that and we always blame ourselves, but there's another partner yes. there. It does. And you know, when we break down like all the causes of infertility, it's thought that probably at least half have, if not exclusive male factor, like some component of male fertility issues right. as well. So it, it wow. definitely takes two to tango. One final question for you. So I have been dealing with some nerve pain and I've been seeing an acupuncturist and I'm doing a lot of research on Chinese medicine and just really how massages, acupuncture, um, herbs, all these different things can help just full body. Do you mm -hmm. recommend whether it's supplementary treatments, anything to really support fertility? Absolutely. I think that it's hard to quantify, you mm -hmm. know, what the absolute like effect is on any of the supplementary or complementary treatments are on fertility. Right. But I have to believe that they just enhance your overall well-being and every anything that is better for your overall well-being, your overall cortisol levels, your overall stress right. and sort of global health is good for your reproductive health. Mm -hmm. So I'm really a big fan of people who, you know, who are able to do acupuncture, people who are able to massage, people who might be able to like put any of those adjuvants um, therapies to use. Mm -hmm. I really think it addresses the whole body health and mental health as well. And I think even if, you know, you can improve your mental status when you're going through any fertility treatments, that is massively impactful on just the way that the whole treatment plays out. Absolutely. Good. So I feel comfortable with where I'm at, but I also hope just like everyone yeah. listening, you know, you don't have to be able, you know, if you can't afford the acupuncture or the massage therapist, just doing something that, you know, even if it's a walk, um, meditation, meditation. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, yep. I learned a lot today, so I'm so happy that you came God, on. So I appreciate it all. Um, and where can everybody find, whether it's you or just spring fertility in general, social media, website, yeah, so we definitely have um, presence on social media on Instagram. You can just look us up under Spring Fertility. The website is springfertility.com. Mm -hmm. um, there are links to both offices in California and New York. 
and we would be happy to see anybody who's interested in fertility treatments or fertility preservation. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. This was great. My pleasure. It was so great chatting with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Talking With Tata podcast. Please subscribe and follow along wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever that may be. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Talking With Tata and our website, talkingwithtata.com.